a lot of people, at least on social media or, or that are intrigued by the lifestyle, they're disillusioned because they think that these people are living like this 365 and it's, it's just not true. Bodybuilding about selfies, steroids, magazines, and muscles? How do I become a successful pro bodybuilder or fitness competitor? Where do I even start if I'm new? And the biggest question of all, what are the judges looking for anyway? Even today with the internet, many people first discover bodybuilding by word of mouth. The lack of regulation has caused a boom of unqualified coaches, scattered info, biased advice, dangerous protocols, and posing trends that are a hot mess. After 20 years in the business, I have seen it all. Week after week, I'm going to talk about taboo topics that get swept under the rug, provide you tips and strategies to gain a competitive edge and stand out on stage in any division or federation. I'm going to answer all the burning industry questions without the bias. I have competed across six federations, earned pro status in three, and judged in two. I've coached posing and choreography for men and women in all federations and divisions. I know just how much competing means to you. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome, and you are listening to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. Be sure to download your free guide, Five Things Every Bodybuilder and Fitness Competitor Needs to Know Before Your Next Show at eeinbb.com. That's www.eeinbb.com. Welcome back to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. I am your host, Michelle Welcome, and with me today is a very special co-host, Vasilios Metropolis. Oh, man. And together, we will be interviewing a very special guest and talking about how to get shredded and avoid, as best as you can, we'll talk about that, a post-show rebound and all the latest research that surrounds this concept. And our guest today is Dr. Bill Campbell. He is a legend, I'm telling you, in this industry, and I can't wait to continue to have Dr. Campbell out there to share all this information. There's just so much research. So I'm going to take a moment to go through the very many accolades that he has. He has a PhD in exercise, nutrition, and preventative health with a specialization in sports nutrition. If that wasn't enough, he's a professor of exercise science. He's the past president of the International Society of Sports Nutrition has published over, I believe, 200 peer-reviewed articles, book chapters, and scientific abstracts. Does that sound right? <laughs> I think that's the current tally. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, you're also, which I'm really excited to check out at some point, you are the director of the Performance and Physique Enhancement Laboratory at the University of South Florida. And you pioneer in research in the area of female physique enhancement, which is very unique in itself. So it's only, it's actually, what's interesting about this lab is it's the only research lab in the world, one of, I believe, that studies lean people getting leaner. So Dr. Campbell, we are so happy to have you today on our show. Would you please share a little bit more about your background, how you got into studying physique competitors, and maybe what your most memorable moment as a researcher so far is? Okay. So I... I guess my journey starts, I'll start as an adult. I won't get into the fourth grade theatrics, but <laughs> my, um, I went to college to play basketball at a small college and I didn't really play basketball. I was on the team, but not good enough to actually play much. And I was studying marketing and my first job was to sell 
bug killer and weed killer after I got out of college. And I realized, and I was really into bodybuilding at that time, just loved bodybuilding. I had done one show uh, probably about a year, maybe two years after graduating. So I'm, I'm going around selling bug killer and weed killer, and I don't really care about killing bugs or, or weeds at that point. But I knew I loved bodybuilding. I loved uh, sports supplements. This is right around the time. I'm old enough when I remember when creatine came out. So I realized, okay, if I love bodybuilding, fitness, I probably should do something different because I, you know, relatively young, early 20s. So that's what I did. I took a bunch of odd jobs, quit the job, went back to school. I had no science classes. So started kind of all over again professionally and got a master's degree in exercise physiology. And again, still loving bodybuilding, having only competed once though. And then I thought, okay, what's the best way towards the end of my master's degree? What's the best way for me to make a, an impact on the, on the profession? And I thought probably through academia, I didn't have the, the genetics, uh, or I, let's just say I didn't have the drive to, to, to pursue bodybuilding as a career. Um, so let's take this through a more academic route, which is what I've which is what I've done. And I've continued to do that for like the last 15 years. The reason I ended up at the university of South Florida was I, I was married and my wife said, let's she, well, she said, I don't care where we live as long as it's a place that's hot. So I kind of drew a line in the country only applied to jobs in the Southern United States, Arizona as well. And that's what brought me here. And from day one, I started building kind of my dream lab, which is the Performance and Physique Enhancement Laboratory. So there's a, a quick background. Any super memorable moment that maybe some surprise outcomes that have happened since you've started the lab? Yeah, the, almost all of my research, it's, it's the outcomes are fairly boring. Like there's never a difference kind of what I, no matter what I study. So one study, I did a diet refeed study. It's kind of like diet break, but it's a little bit more acute. And that was the first study that I actually found that this strategy, you know, again, it was only one study, but it, it, what I, what I found was by giving our subjects, resistance trained subjects, a, a carbohydrate-only refeed on the weekends during a diet, it enabled them to maintain their lean muscle mass better and their metabolic rate better. So that was the one thing that stuck out. Um, it was, again, the only, the first study where I was like, wow, this, this is, I actually found something that, that there's no difference than the placebo or the control. So that was, um, that was exciting. And then somebody wrote a letter to the editor, which is kind of like a, 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 a nerdy way to say, we don't, we don't like these findings. I was just like, oh, the very first study I ever find now I'm bringing out all the naysayers. <laughs> oh, the trolls, they definitely will find their way. I'm sure you're going to, you're going to get opposition to some of the, some of the research findings, but it's really fascinating. I mean, in, in your goal that you've talked about, I've heard you at least about wanting to um, optimize physiques in a sustainable way. Isn't that kind of a interesting, I don't know if it's a an opposite to the fact that bodybuilding, we get down to extreme levels of body fat. So mm -hmm. is it really something that is sustainable or healthy and long-term ramifications of it? Yeah. And I, let me articulate it like this. I, again, my, my first passion was bodybuilding and I, I study bodybuilders. I, I, I love the bodybuilding lifestyle. Bodybuilders are the experts in building muscle. They're the experts in losing body fat. 
But as you know, competitive bodybuilding is an extreme endeavor. It, it takes kind of every minute of every day, or at least a focus, an enhanced focus. So essentially what I do is I learn bodybuilders, what they do, and I dial it back a few degrees to where, at least in my, in my, my hopes, that most people can do the most important things to get a physique that they like that's maintainable. Let's say you have children, you like to go out to dinner on the weekends. So you're doing most of what bodybuilders do, but just not as extreme so that you can live kind of a lean lifestyle. So that's where my research has been. And effectively, you could say that kind of what I do, at least in your world, think of it as my research really serves the off-season for bodybuilders. I don't do a lot of contest prep or peaking. Now, we've done a little bit of that in case studies, but that's where my research is. So yes, I, I, my research serves people that want to optimize their physiques within a maintainable lifestyle. It's, it's interesting you mentioned off-season. We were just having a discussion about that. I mean, if you could articulate what you personify as an off-season, because from, from our perspective, professional bodybuilders and athletes, there really isn't an off-season. There's more like, for me, at least the way I see it, it's, it's more diet-related. You're always kind of training. How would you articulate off-season if that's something you're focused on? Yeah, so with, within the paradigm of bodybuilding, an off-season is when you're not attempting to get stage lean. So I envision this as you're always training, always trying to build muscle mass. And there may be periods in the off seasons where you're going to, where you're going to go on a, on a diet, you're going to reduce your calories again, not to the point where you're trying to get stage lean, but maybe just trying to offset some excess body fat accumulation. So that's how I envision this. And really the subjects that I have in my studies they, they're always resistant, well, almost always resistance trained subjects. Uh, we just did a study with non-resistance trained females to, to, to look at something, but they're always resistance trained. They're just not, you know, sub 15% body fat on a female when they start my studies. They're, 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 they're lean. And it's funny in research, if you're not obese or overweight, you're lean. <laughs> so what in bodybuilding, we would call just, you know, your average body fat person, not lean at all. But in the, in the academic literature, no, no, they're lean. So there's a definite, you have to definitely know your language based on your audience in, in my field. Well, getting, you know, off season to on season, you know, quote, quote, on off, uh, really the, the difference is the consistency and the time that you're going to put into getting yourself from lean to leaner. And is it really all that much different or is it really just, getting to getting that consistency and that giving yourself that time to get your body fat down that low. So is there a, a strategy that you would suggest for people to, when they're going from off season to on to get themselves, like how do they go about starting that protocol? I, I think the main difference would just be a, well, two, twofold, a time parameter. So when you have a competition date, you know, you have a date set when you're stepping on stage that there's probably a longer period of time that you're willing to diet for that, for that, for that competition that you wouldn't otherwise have such a long period of time of dieting in the off season. And then secondly, you're, you're much more willing to go to extreme caloric deficits for extended periods of time to step on stage that you wouldn't otherwise 
want to do or have the motivation to do if you don't have a stage date. So that that's how I kind of frame another way to frame off season versus in season. But the the principles probably don't change much again, other than the length and the severity of the diet. And you have three principles that you've talked about. Do you want to share those about physique enhancement? Three principles. Yes. Yeah. Now to our bodybuilding audience, they're going to be like, we don't need a scientist to tell us this stuff. But remember, (laughs) my audience is people who kind of aspire to bodybuilders. So remember what bodybuilders do just naturally in their sleep. They, they just take their knowledge for granted, appreciate not everybody is there yet. So I'm trying to broaden the tent or bring, you know, uh, enlarge the tent to bring more people in. So the the three principles are, and again, this is for a sustainable lean lifestyle, is lose body fat slowly. Don't be in a hurry to do that. And I'll explain why these three principles, why they exist. So the first principle is lose fat slowly. Don't be in a hurry. The second one is when you're dieting, don't decrease protein. So you're going to have to reduce your calories when dieting, but we don't want to touch protein. And then the third one, which is, again, a no-brainer for our audience, is resistance train. So the three of those together, what they do is by not being too aggressive in your fat loss phase, by keeping protein high and by resistance training, you're really fighting back against all of the negative consequences that dieting introduces. And I'll just mention a few of them. When people diet, They And just think of your general person going on a diet, not a bodybuilder. So these people are not lifting weights. They they don't even know what protein is or they don't really strive to get it. A couple, there's several negative consequences. One is you lose muscle mass. And for a bodybuilder, that's exactly what we don't want when dieting. So you lose muscle mass. You also suppress your metabolism. And when your metabolism is suppressed, what you've just done is set up two hurdles. One hurdle is it's going to be harder and harder to continue to lose body fat if your metabolism gets suppressed. The second thing is when, you're, when your diet is over, you have now invited a, a large potential to put any increased body weight in the form of body fat. So by all means, you want to maintain your metabolism when dieting. And then the third thing is by resistance training, you're kind of supporting both of those things. So again, dieting, you're losing muscle mass, you're, you're suppressing your metabolism. You actually induce at the cellular level something called anabolic resistance, where you're just not generating a favorable anabolic environment to maintain or even potentially build muscle when dieting. So I always, I always try to frame it as identify your goal and then pursue that goal. So if you're going to go for fat loss, pursue fat loss, but let's do everything we can to preserve muscle mass because it not only helps during the process, it also helps when the diet is over. And I I'm personally love this research that you're doing and especially the research that you did about protein in particular. You know, I've been in this industry for 20, I started competing 20 years ago. And for me, I've seen a lot of people come in, in and out of the sport. And still to this day, with all the information out there, I'm coming across competitors who are given these protocols with like 600 calories and, you know, tons of cardio and still the nonsense. And it's, and it's just mind boggling to me. And what's interesting is the latest research about protein we talked about just a high protein. Both of us consume a lot of protein and people would would be like, how much protein you have in a day? And it work, and it does work. But what's interesting is the whole calories in, calories out. 
concept, but what you have is the protein as an anchor to the nutrition. And I know this um, from uh, all the all the stuff that you've posted about this, about protein being the anchor and just the amount of protein. And could you share a little bit about that, about protein in particular, and how just the misconception of lo- of what an actual amount of protein is acceptable? Yes. Yeah. And one thing I did just to give this, just to give a little bit of a context to the question about protein, everybody in bodybuilding knows protein's important, but there has actually been very little research in this area. And in 2018, my lab, we studied a high versus low protein diet in aspiring female physique athletes, such that almost every subject in that study had either competed in a bikini show or was planning to do so within the, within the next year. And so what we did was we took what we already know to be true, what, what we believe to be true in, in following the lifestyle, and then just kind of said, yes, here's this, this happened. And just real quick, the, the, these, uh, these female physique athletes, when they were on high protein, they built, they, they increased their muscle mass. When they were on low protein, they did not build muscle mass. They actually didn't lose on average, which actually surprised me. I thought they would lose. They didn't lose, but they were totally not able to adapt to their training when protein intakes were high. So again, I'm, I'm trying, I always look at this too. Bodybuilders are probably three or four years ahead of what I do. I'm just coming along and validating the practices of what they're already doing to give it legitimacy to validate what's working. Now, again, some of those things aren't, don't work. Um, some things that I, I would even to this day challenge what others would suggest is, is true in, in bodybuilding circles. Um, and again, some of the things I've had to change my mind on, but in terms of protein, yeah, I, I take the approach of a protein anchored, flexible diet. I I like the concept of flexible dieting just because I really don't like rules or somebody telling me I have to do this, um, or that. So having the ability to choose your foods, I like that. Now we can all admit, or at least I will admit when your calories get to a low enough point, you're going to be eating the same thing day after day. That's that, that, that is the, the nature of getting stage lean for most people. But within this broader protein anchored, flexible diet, the the protein serves as the anchor or the, the foundation of one's diet. So what, what we typically do is we'll reduce calories, let's say by 25%. That's what we've done in my research studies. And we, we lower 25% based on maintenance calories. And the first thing we do is, okay, so now we have, let's use this as an example. 2,000 calories is your maintenance level. That means you're not going to gain weight nor lose weight at 2,000 calories. Reduce them to 1,500. The very first decision after that is set our protein. I suggest about a gram of protein per pound of body weight for bodybuilders. They can do that relatively easy for a non-bodybuilding individual, that's a big ask. There's a lot of people who simply cannot do that or they struggle to do that. So that's where supplements really help. And just, um, again, I, I know this because I, I do this in my research and I'm dealing with non-bodybuilding people or, or subjects that this is all new to them. So that's what I mean by protein anchored. And what protein does is when you're in a diet, everything about the caloric deficit is catabolic. It's good in a sense that you're breaking down body fat, but as I said earlier, you're also inducing anabolic resistance. Um, specifically, that means you're preventing the conversion of growth hormone to IGF-1, which is a very anabolic hormone when in a caloric deficit. 
and you're and by virtue of that you're also losing muscle mass. So I like to tell people let's let's try to do as many anabolic stimuli stimuli introduce as much anabolic stimuli as possible when we're dieting. Protein is an anabolic nutrient and of course resistance training is an anabolic stimulus to the body. So now we go back to those principles. What are things we can do to introduce periods or bursts of an of of a message or a signal to the body where we will build or at least maintain our muscle mass. And one other thing, this goes back to earlier, a consideration of actually increasing calories for a day or two or a diet break at periods of time when dieting. Again, I have research to suggest that that is beneficial for preventing the loss of muscle mass when dieting. This is great. I mean, just to hear this, just so you understand my background too, uh, I was introduced to bodybuilding. Obviously, as a young teenager, you see the magazines. Everyone knows Arnold. You go through the culture uh, exposure to it. But of course, my wife here has been in the business 20 years. I've been with her for what, we eight years now. Where are we going? Yeah. So, um, y- you know, I'm, I'm by nature, I'm like a sponge just being around her. But in that process of everything that I've been exposed to, there's so many different philosophies, especially when you look at bodybuilders and what they're kind of preaching or teaching or exposing with social media and whatnot. And I've gone through high fat, keto, vegan, no protein, low protein, you know, long fast, two day fast, up and down, you name it, man. I've done raw food. I went down the raw food. Yeah, it's been raw liver. It's been wild. It's been <laughs> to say the I, least. I, I love your 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 scientific approach. You experiment with a lot of things. A hundred percent. Raw and I put egg it, yolks. Yeah, yeah. Which I still do the ground egg yolks. beef raw. <laughs> I could keep going. I couldn't look, and I put an adequate amount of time. <laughs> I couldn't watch. Hard for me to listen. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I put a, a good adequate amount of time in as well. I put uh, you know at least six months, sometimes a year per you know, recommend, recommended agenda and what I'm trying to track and use tons of tools. But anyway, all that to say that I circle back around to where I'm at today. And it, it, with Michelle's help, of course, we both kind of went, yeah, we just need to train like savages, eat a ton of protein and never stop. And we'll be fine. Like that was kind of where we're at. So I have so much appreciation for what you're doing and how you're kind of putting it out there because there's so much misinformation, you know, that, I mean, what I spent years. Everything is overcomplicated, don't you think? Yeah. You know, you're really making it easier for us to kind of understand and build that maintainable lifestyle and doing it. Yeah, that's that is a principle of mine. It it needs to be as simple as possible. And again, I have a PhD. I I don't know how to turn on a microphone or a headset, but (laughs) (laughs) but I always I have always said if you can't explain things in a simple manner, you don't know it yourself, or there's you have some angle, there's some type of I don't want to say fraud, but there's there's something a little nefarious if you're trying to overcomplicate something. So yeah, I think you said it. If you did nothing else but train hard and eat a high protein diet, you're gonna have a fairly good physique. Yeah. And it amazes me because you mentioned that uh, the people that you studied when you tried to get them to consume more protein, it was mind boggling to me because I do think it is a competitive edge. I do feel that um, 50% of the people, I think you said, it found it hard. And personally for me, when I first start to cut, I bump the protein. But let's be real. If I'm going to bump you know, 50 even just or just change more um, liquid foods to more solids, there's a 
time that goes into getting myself to be able to handle the volume of solids. So perhaps maybe there's something to that too, where uh, it took me about a week and a half to two weeks to go from a lot of liquids and consuming more protein on top of that and all solids for the most part. So it was a time evolution too. And I feel like um, people just don't give it that little bit of effort and time. I think patience is so important in bodybuilding regardless. So I feel yes. it's interesting that and you when you do these research projects, are people actually living at the facility for those two weeks, for example? No. So real quick, on, on that post about not being able to eat a gram of protein per pound of body weight, those are my students, many of which are not bodybuilders at all. Um, my subjects are again typically resistance trained females so they've been lifting weights sometimes they're they're current competitors or former competitors but not 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 often uh, now of course we do case studies in in bodybuilders and and bikini or physique figure athletes as well but no they don't live in a facility they they live their lives so i guess my our approach is and i think let me also make this known we, i i study natural um, lifting population. So I, we don't have PED use in our research studies. At least that's one of the exclusion criteria. So that's another area that my research doesn't investigate, which is, which would be very valuable if we could get more research in that so that we can just improve the practices that already exist for athletes who do use PEDs. But my subjects are your typical, they're very serious about their training. They're serious about their nutrition. They track their their every gram of carbs, protein, and fat that go into their diet. Um, we do supervise their workouts. So they come into my lab to do their workouts and, and there we supervise them. And everybody has a personal nutrition coach so that we're constantly communicating with our subjects. But they do live on their own. And I think for this type of research, that's a better model because it's it more mimics real life. Uh, bodybuilders don't live in a metabolic ward for a month. Um, and I don't have the money to pay people to stay, (laughs) (laughs) but just get the, the whole idea of, uh, getting yourself shredded for a bodybuilding competition. You mentioned taking your maintenance calories, dropping them by 25%, uh, and then having a couple of refeed days where you're brought up to maintenance two days a week, that will get somebody shredded. And how do you combat when there's something like a, uh, when your body adapts to it too? Yeah. So, so what we did in that study, that was only a seven week diet. Uh, again, bodybuilders are going to do anything and everything you ask, but you will never see a study with 40 bodybuilders. If, if it could be done, I would do it. It would have been done by me. I live in Tampa. It's a very large bodybuilding presence here. And I, I'll, I'll tell, I'll say this where it will make sense to everybody. Cause I know people say, why didn't they use bodybuilders? Is there any bodybuilder alive who's going to let you tell, let me tell them what they're going to eat and how they're going to train? No, because when you're doing research, you have to standardize all of that for every single subject. So everybody's got to eat the same protein. Everybody has to do the same workout or at least continue in their current workouts. Um, Even just telling people you're going to train three days per week or five days per week. So that's why you don't see studies 
in bodybuilders. That bodybuilders are unwilling to give up control of their nutrition. Then and training. you need to have a show at the end. Hello. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> so. An you need the people outcome. that are fun. Well, the people that are funding your research, they need to put a little bit of extra money aside and maybe have a championship competition where the best of the best wins that money. And maybe you know, bodybuilders are motivated by a plastic trophy. You're telling me, you know what I mean? Like, you don't think that somebody would, I would, I would totally be do your whole research thing because I've been tracking my macros for 20 years. <laughs> I can do it. And I would get down lean for a show. So just saying, just something to think about. Maybe yeah, we, can, a, maybe we can do a show. Maybe we can do the show. Oh, man. Have a show. Have yeah. a yeah, sponsorship would be huge. Or a sponsorship. So, so my research, what I believe is I get the next best thing to answer the questions that bodybuilders care about. I get people who are resistance trained, who are already lean that then want to lose more body fat. So I, I believe my efforts are serving the body. You know, I'm close. I'm as close as what you're going to see in the, in the space what, uh, what, for, to serve bodybuilders. What, when you mentioned lean, since we're talking about getting shredded, that, at least for me and my perspective, it, it took me a while to distinguish the difference between stage ready and living, you know, and, and the differences in health and longevity and what that does to the body. When you say lean, what do you consider safe for, for a lean body, male and female? And at what point do you see uh, things turn to the negative, whether that be hormonally, moods, just anything, brain chemistry, blood work, any of that stuff? What, what are those numbers for you? How do you, how do you figure that out? Yeah, so I'll, I'll focus on where I've done most of our case study research, which is the bikini division. So in, in what I've noticed in, in that is females are getting to approximately 10% body fat, maybe just sub 10%. So I, I, I've per personally measured a lot of them. Um, we use ultrasound technology to assess body fat percentage. And in general, my, my thinking is that, that is not sustainable for most people. It's, it's a, it's a destination that you can live at for a short period of time. And then you have to come out of that. And then we, we can talk about, well, how do we come out of that? Or what are the, what are the approaches? But it's, it, there's nothing about that that's sustainable. And, and just changing the, the topic for a moment, that's where I think a lot of people at least on social media or, or that are intrigued by the lifestyle, they're disillusioned because they think that these people are living like this 365 and it's, it's just not true. Now there are the freaks, right? We all know them. We all, they'll burn in hell. There are people that <laughs> are lean all the time without seemingly much effort. But yeah. the impression is again, for people who don't know they're lean all the time. Or they really don't know what they're doing to maintain a leanness for an extended period of time. So that's that's just a that's just a realistic approach to things. And I try to get that message out there. Again, that's why the focus on lifestyle. So th there's the 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 essence of of like sub ten percent for most females. Not not counting the, the you know the the genetic freaks. It's not sustainable. Uh, what I've what I have noticed particularly in males is in terms of blood work, looking at this from a few case studies, hormones do get altered, but with enough time, they come back, whether that's two months, three months, six months. And specifically, I'm talking about testosterone in that case for males. Um, here's Even when that, they're lean, you mean they got their, their, their super lean, their hormones go a little wonky, but 
with enough time at that leanness, they're, they'll actually go no, back? No, uh, with okay. enough time after the show while they're gaining body weight okay. back. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that they're 20% body fat. They're still lean, you know, just not stage lean. Mm. Uh, but he, here's something that I, I didn't know before that I, that I now believe based on several case studies in females. And this spans bikini, bodybuilding, and figure competitors. And there's only about seven of these case studies that are, that are published. Um, and I've noticed this in the, some of the females that I've worked with over the years. I used to think that females lost muscle mass when prepping for shows. I know males do. I've seen it. And the, the, the case studies support that. But females, they really don't. At least there's not scientific evidence. Now, that's not to say that some females don't. And again, um, this, is, this is a non-PED mm. um, observation. But females are much more able to maintain their lean muscle mass, even getting stage lean, than males. And again, that's something that I would not have thought five years ago until I saw data, personal observation and data from the published case studies. I don't know if you guys have, have observed this yourself, or if you think what I'm looking at is more anomalies. I don't know if you have an opinion on this. You know, it's interesting you say that because we've talked about, even before all the research that we have been reviewing and you know, I've said to him, it's, I, I recomped. I mean, people are like, you can't recomp, you can't lose body fat and build muscle. I'm like, I put on a lot of muscle when I was preparing. I mean, I'm like, is it just me? And I think it has to do with, I've always been a very high protein diet. I've always had a very high protein diet, always get your protein in. I think there has something to do with that. But, um, what do you think? I think, uh, you know, macros are interesting when you start talking about this particular subject. And I, when I was in the high fat camp for a long time, I was under the impression that I might be like Superman and figure out some secret, you know, like if I use fat as the backbone to my hormones, maybe I don't even need carbs type of thing. So it's interesting when you start manipulating the macros on such a, a refined point, because what like peak week and everything else, things are transitioning so much right? In different ways that you normally don't live at, that you start to see different adaptations very interestingly that you wouldn't see on a day-to-day basis. So, um, you know, my thought right away is, well, females generally hold a little bit more fat than men, than men. So maybe there's something more to lose. You know, maybe there's something there as well, you know, but yeah, I'd I'd love to know more about like, like why, I mean, men have married, men carry more muscle again, non PEDs discussion here. They carry more muscle. In general, yes, your structure is completely different. I think that's probably a primary factor, and their testosterone levels really get they they tank, and females do not. Mm. Uh, so there's those are the two, I guess, if we're going to say theories. Men mm. have more muscle mass to lose, ab, you know, on an absolute basis, and their testosterone levels are significantly suppressed going into a a competition. Well, coming out of the show, can we just chat really quick a uh, little bit about that? Uh, there's the whole idea of a reverse diet, and then there's other new studies about recovery diets as well. And that's kind of, I don't know if it's new or newer, the idea of recovery. Um, everybody, you hear the talk everywhere, reverse diet, reverse diet, reverse diet. Can you share what that is and how a recovery diet differs? And do you have a personal preference towards one or the other? Yeah, so l- let me define them, and I can also speak to some research that we did on this topic in a case series studies study. So 
the, the concept is after a competition, so a bodybuilder steps off stage, now they're looking and they're not planning on competing for, you know, months, if not till next year. The, the question is they need to gain body weight to get back to, let's say, normal hormonal function, uh, lifting heavier weights, and let's just say not feeling like crap. So the question is, how quickly do they want to get back to pre-dieting feelings, pre-dieting levels? If you go about this slowly and methodically, that's called a reverse diet, where you're slowly adding in calories after the competition date, a slow approach. A recovery diet is not being a slow. You're comfortable with putting on more body fat more quickly after your competition. So you're eating much more food more quickly after your show. So those are the two differences there. Um, in terms of what I prefer, I, I'm probably going to go against the grain here. I, I, I believe if I have my pulse on the bodybuilding community, I think they probably favor the recovery diet where you're more quickly putting back weight on after a show so that, again, you can start training heavier and just and, and, and getting better sleep, all of the things that would come with gaining body weight from a post-show or a, a stage lean condition. Taking a lifestyle approach to this, a reverse diet allows you to slowly and more methodically increase calories, and that allows you to look leaner for a much longer period of time. So because I'm focused on this lifestyle, I would prefer that because I think most people want to look lean all of the time. Now, I will also say, and then I'll, I'll follow this up with some of our research, a reverse diet is extremely hard to execute because you may say that you're going to slowly increase calories after your show, but that's probably not what you're going to do based on my experience. So just I'll, I'll tell the story in 60 seconds. A former grad student of mine, James Longstrom, we wanted to look at this. So we recruited it was either seven or nine males and females that competed. And we allowed them to self-select. We said, you choose. Are you going to do a recovery or reverse? And they chose. They said, yeah, we're going to do recovery. Because we didn't want to tell them to do something that they weren't going to do anyway. So that's why we allowed them to, to choose what they were going to do. And our job was just to, just to monitor their body fat gain, their hormones, their psychology. Um, we got blood work on them, um, their metabolism. And what we found was, and it was split, you know, about even half said they were going to do a recovery, which they're going to put on weight quickly. The other half were going to do more slowly and methodically with a reverse diet. What we found was there was no tangible difference between any of them. <laughs> so wow. I, I think the reality is the people who said they wanted to reverse diet and have a plan, they ultimately did not follow what they thought they were. They didn't follow what they set out to do. Could and it have been that little, you know, the roller of suitcase with all of the post-show goodies <laughs> the that opened up the floodgates? Like that <laughs> might have had something to do with Where's it. Where's my cookie dealer at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't make it out off of the backstage without no. blowing their, their no, they their blew it right strategy. away. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it happened. I've I've seen people. I've said it before. There was a suitcase, a whole suitcase. She opened it up, and it was like eighty different items of junk food. I'm like, good luck coming back from that one. <laughs> well, and it's funny. One of our subjects within four weeks. This was a female, and I think she was in the bikini division. 
gained 28, I think it was 28 pounds in the month. And now to be fair, she, this was her first show. So she was a novice. Um, and, and again, I, I don't know what I don't, I probably had no coach. So there's, Mm. there's a strong argument that bodybuilding is a skill. You have to develop the skill of dieting. You have to develop the skill of post-show recovery, reverse, whatever you're going to do. Um, and there was evidence that when you're an amateur, it, it was, it was, it was shocking. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. That's great. 28. She had to be so uncomfortable. That poor thing that had to feel so lousy. So the the recovery, what's that? The recovery is quick. It's like what, three days, five days. And then what happens after that? Well, I don't know if I, I I'm not aware of a consensus. I'm aware of just a recovery approach is quickly increasing calories and being comfortable or, or being and expecting an increase in body fat more rapidly A reverse. You're going to be leaner for a lot longer. If you're able to have the discipline to, to execute. So when you're dieting, is there a difference from how you would, I mean, have you seen in the research a difference between somebody who's preparing for a show the first time? Is there some sort of memory in the body where it becomes more challenging, more difficult to lose and get down to those extreme levels? Kind of like if you had heat stroke, your body has a sensitivity to heat. At least that's what I've read. Mm. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Is there some sort of adaptive um, or, or some sort of protection in the body that's built in there to keep you from getting that lean? Again, we're talking about people not on PEDs. Yeah, I, I can't say I've seen that. I don't want to say that that doesn't mean it doesn't exist for some people, but I've, I have worked with, and when I say worked with, I'm the one, I'm usually not the coach. I've been a coach, um, for a few people just so I can just, I can get, uh, broaden my knowledge, but I'm by no means, a a, a physique coach. Uh, but I was monitoring their, their body composition, their metabolic rate to see as they and their coach are, you know, making decisions to get them closer to stage. Um, what you're suggesting, I, I, and the people that I've worked with, I've not seen that, uh, they were able to consistently, uh, get stage lean show after show over, you know, three, four years. Now, do you have a, a, an approximate 20 year competition history? Yeah. I started competing 20 years ago. And, was- and you, you've been, you're recently a comp- in competition as well. I'm actually in prep right now. Okay. And so- I'm in my forties. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a, you are like the, the professionals professional when it comes to, to prep. Let me ask you this. Cause you, you will know, cause this is something that I've, that's been told to me by serial competitors. What worked in three other diets to lose fat is not working now, or what worked last year is not working now. And that's, I would think that, no, you're, you, you, you would be, I intuitively, I would think what works for you works for you. What's your, do you, do you experience that you have to keep changing your approach or are, is your body fairly consistent in how it responds to your exercise and your diet decisions? I think what people don't realize is that the body isn't stagnant. My body last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, isn't the same body regardless. It's constantly changing and evolving. And it's because I am still training. I still am eating and I'm still on this path. So my to think that the protocol that worked isn't just isn't logical. 
because my body's different. Assuming I've been doing a great job over the last year building muscle, why would I go to the protocol before and just go back to the same amount of calories? Why wouldn't I take what I'm doing now and make it better and use my new baseline has changed? That's the difference. So I can say, I mean, when I was, here's the thing too. When I was 20, I graduated um, college at 20. I finished in three years and I was working in corporate um, and I was started to do shows and everything. So for me, I was super active. I was getting my master's degree. I'm competing in shows. I'm working full-time and I'm doing part-time personal training because I'm obsessed with bodybuilding. So I'm moving a lot more. And I did a test on myself. I was wearing my Apple watch and I was looking, you know, how much moving am I doing? I don't think it's a necessarily personally, necessarily an age thing. I think it has to do with what the different, what is the other different? What are the other variables? I I'm, was moving a lot more at 20 than I am at 40, which is why it's not melting off of me. So when I looked at how much I was moving and bumped it up, and of course bumped the pro protein to me as a secret weapon, then that's what changed things. And it is melting now. And it's not because I'm, so it's interesting to hear the studies and to hear all this stuff. And I consume about 1.2 grams per butt. So I'm, I'm over 200 grams of carb, uh, excuse me, of protein a day. And that works for me. And do you rely on supplements to help get some of that? Or are you all food? 100% natural, drug-free for life. I've gotten super stage lean from its consistency. Um, but as for supplements, I have one protein shake. I like my protein shake in the morning. It's my pre-workout, so it's not heavy. Um, mm -hmm. but the, I, and then we're going to be taking this podcast on a tour of the United States coming next month. So I'm probably, I definitely for ease, cause we're going to have our grill out the back of our van. So cooking our food on the whole road, making it happen. Cause that's what you do. Wow. When you're a bodybuilder. You make it happen. <laughs> So it's just easier to have that one meal, but as it's just, and also the macros are consistent with them too. So be keeping track of that. Speaking of macros, I have a question for you. We use an app called chronometer. It's free, but we find that for example, 90 or 93% beef or 85% beef with one selection mm. isn't the same. Like we're one versus another. And it's a generic brand. It gives you a value of protein that's completely different than another. And it's like, geez, well, which one is it? Am I really getting that much protein in? So how, do you have a suggestion on any standards or advice on how to make sure that you're getting these macros as, as accurate as possible? Yeah. Yeah. My advice would be to, if, if, if possible, just always you purchase the same 85% beef from a particular brand. And I don't even, it doesn't matter what brand you put into your macro tracker, as long as you're using the same one. Because there's always going to be variability. Um, that's one thing I love about rice, right? If you weigh out your rice, you're pretty sure <laughs> there's not going to be any many variables. You know, 50 grams of dry rice is 50 grams of dry rice. So taking rice out of it. But yeah, beef, chicken, even the size of an egg. Um, as long as you're consistent in your measures, I think that's all you can do. Um, but if, if, you, if you even pretend that you're going to be accurate to the gram, I think you're going to be frustrated because like you said, not only is the food itself going to have variability, but then your macro trackers. So again, the, the, the way, the things you can do is weigh the food, um, that will help get you a little more accurate. Um, so I, just as an example, uh, I go to Chipotle. I love Chipotle. 
Um, I have three options. I have a bowl with no cheese. I have a burrito with no cheese and I have a burrito with cheese. Regardless of whether I think they gave me a few extra beans or not, it's just the same thing every time. Sometimes I'm getting a little more calories. Sometimes I'm getting a little less and I just live in this. I'm, I'm going to, I'm willing to be okay with that. Now that's me. I'm not you who's the professional lifelong competitor. Maybe you're not comfortable with that. Oh, no, I think that's super healthy. I think for maintenance year round, I think that's super healthy. And, and I'll purposely have little, little tastes of things here or there because I can. And when I know it's time to like wrap it up, it's like, oh, okay, I'll do it for this period of time and I'll be fine. But I purposely don't stay strict the whole year for that exact reason. And I agree with you. It's nice and it's fun to be able to have a little bit of extra boy that day that somebody gives you a couple extra beans. (laughs) Woohoo. Or chicken, right? I, I like it like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big score, right? It's a big deal. Yes. You know, and one more question for you, because I know that uh, you have other other appointments as well. I do have one more question for you, because we we're talking about getting shredded for competitions and getting shredded. There's a look to a physique competitor. There's a separated look of the muscles that everybody wants to achieve. Do you have any sort of um, advice on how to get that separation? Like, what's the key to getting that look to the muscles? So I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm cognizant of my expertise. Uh, you're, you're also a judge, correct? Multiple federations I've judged. Yeah. Yeah. So I should be asking you that. So I, I'll just give what I, (laughs) I'll give my gut answer. My gut answer is you've, as the leaner you get, the more separation you're going to see. Now does training a particular muscle group with different angles does manipulating your, you know, your water intake, like, or the, again, I don't, I would be asking you. So you answer that question to educate <laughs> me if you don't mind. About how to get that separated look. I do think there's time to it. There's, there's so much time and you can even see it when people uh, do take PEDs, they go from their very soft look to the muscles and all of a sudden it's like super separated. I mean, they're, and they just expedited the time. That mm-hmm. was what they did, but we don't really know what else is going on with that. So I, I was wondering because of, is it like the skin thinning? You know, is there's any science to it? Like maybe it's just the skin thinning because at 20, your skin is thicker. And then when you're 40, it's a little bit thinner. So maybe it's giving the illusion of a more separated look, or is it just the overall development over time? So I was curious if there's any research or science, sciencey, any sort of geeky response to that. <laughs> Yeah. No, I wish, I wish I had an opinion. You make a good point though. The skin, yeah, I think it does get a little bit thinner, but the subcutaneous, I mean, if, if you have too much fat under the skin, you're not going to see definition. You're not going to see separation. Hmm. You know, another thing too, is the muscles just not developed yet. People are saying, I need to get leaner. I need to get leaner. It's like, no, you don't. You can, you can't, you can't <laughs> lean down. And if you're not going to see it, it's not there. It's not developed too. Well, and you start so, to lose muscle too at that point, right? Well, they're just, you're just not seeing anything. You have to like work the muscle first. It needs to, you know, it needs to be there to lean yeah, down to. Early twenties are probably coming up with those statements. It's like, well, well put your time you know, in. Why we're seeing the, I I just can't even believe teenagers are taking PEDs. And Mm. that's why I was wondering, it's interesting that you say that you, you definitely have it as a disc, you you eliminate people that are on PEDs so that you keep it, um, you know, something that is based on the the body itself rather than any sort of substance. I think that's interesting. I would like to hear what ends up happening with any studies with PEDs use and how that affects the body and inside and out and all that, because there's a lot of, obviously the use is rampant. Yes. 
You also have a research review. I would love to talk about that. Would you like to share what you're coming up with and launching very soon in the next couple of weeks? Yes. So maybe by the time this gets launched, it will be released. Um, So it's called Body by Science. And if you're a bodybuilder, I think this will be one of the best reviews that you can, that, that you would read because it's all about building muscle and losing body fat. And essentially what it is, it's you don't have to be an expert at reading science. That's my job. In fact, you don't have to know anything about research. I break it down for you. So I tell you what the study's about, what the results were, and then I'm bringing in, and this is where I think the true value is, I'm bringing in experts, people like yourself that are physique coaches, physicians, other researchers, and I'm asking them, okay, here's the science, here's the results, how do you apply it? Because if you just read research and you have no insight into how to apply it into your life, you're, you're lacking. So the, the skill in leaning in, in trying to optimize your physique is applying the evidence to your life. So it's called Body by Science. If you go to my website, it's billcampbellphd.com. You can get the inaugural issue for free just to see if it's something that you like. I summarize two articles every month, and I'm going to launch it at what I'm calling student-based pricing. So it's $6.99 for a monthly subscription for a limited time. I will then increase the price once my launch period is over. But if, if you're trying to, one, if you're a coach, I think you have to have this. And if you're somebody who just take, you're, you're not a bodybuilder, but you take your nutrition and training seriously, I think it would bring you a lot of value. So thank you for letting me mention that. Oh, absolutely. And we read it. And I have to say what we've, we've talked about these studies and you read the studies, you're like, I don't know what I'm reading. (laughs) You get like, you get to the beginning and you get like the summary and then you get down to the juice of the study and like, oh dear. (laughs) You get caught up in the, in in the uh, summary. The language. So what you do is you make it, you, 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 you describe the study. You, you talk about application with, that's where your, your coaches have come in. They, they talk about how to apply the information that you just gave. And it talks to you in a layman's term so that you will understand it no matter what level you're on. Yeah, you, don't have, you don't need to be a PhD. 100%. And I'll just say too, uh, if, if for anybody listening, go check out Bill on his Instagram. I, thank you for responding. to. I know I comment from time to time. Your posts are very cool. informative. Uh, and I've been in and out of a lot of uh, different bodybuilders, whether they're actual bodybuilders, doctors, scientists, um, and you take the time to respond, which I, I love. And your information is extremely informative, informative, very easy to understand and interpret and factual and not, not fear-based, not pointed or bias. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, where can everybody go check that out? Where can we find you? Uh, so Instagram is Bill Campbell, PhD. and my website, again, you can go download the, the inaugural issue of Body by Science for free. That is BillCampbellPhD.com. And that is an absolute must. Dr. Campbell, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time, and we hope you'll come on back on the show. We have so much more to talk about. 100%. <laughs> yes, I'd I'd, lo- I'd I'd love to come back on, and I would love to hear about your 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 country tour from the yes. van. After yes, yes, yeah. we leave next month, and we're going on a tour of the entire United States. And maybe we'll pop in, and we can do something live if you're open to it. Something live. Yeah. Are you, are you going to be in Tampa? Yep. At some point, for sure. Yep, 100%. we will absolutely. So we'll stay connected. Right. But in the meantime, yes. one yeah. more time, tell them where to find you on Instagram. 
So Instagram is Bill Campbell PhD and my website. And remember, you can download the Body by Science first issue for free. That's BillCampbellPhD.com. And it's a must read, I do have to say. Once again, thank you so much, Dr. Campbell. We will talk to you soon. Ever wonder if you are posing correctly for your division? Learn to Pose is dedicated to taking out the guesswork on how to pose for all categories in bodybuilding. Learn five ways you can improve your posing skills in five minutes guaranteed at www.learntopose.com. There are free posing tutorials available for the bikini, figure, and men's physique categories and more on the way for other divisions in bodybuilding. It's free, so go access your free posing tutorial for bikini, figure, or men's physique at learntopose.com. 